You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Welcome to The Making of a Marketer, the podcast that takes you around the world of marketing one topic at a time. Hosted by digital marketing consultants Jess Nickerson and Andy Pondillo. We welcome you to join the conversation. Stream us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. Now here are your hosts, Jess and Andy. We are back on the making of a marketer, Jess and Andy, with you today on this fine Thursday. And, you know, it's an early enough recording that we know Jess talked about it, you know, a little bit ago about, you know, how we have some of these podcasters, they like to to drink different craft brews and whatnot while they do the podcast. So let's drink some craft coffee. Um, but sometimes we record this so late. My doctor said to stop drinking coffee after one o'clock Eastern time. So we're at one o nine right now. So we're, we're right at the threshold. So uh, first question: you, you got anything ready to go for this? Yes, I have my my green tea, L- low caffeine green tea. Yeah. So I'm not okay. I'm not up to your level. Yeah, I got Andy. my double espresso vanilla iced coffee right now. So we're gonna have like the fuel of full caffeine caffeinated Andy for this podcast. So it's gonna be quite exciting. But on a serious note, as we start this off, we are starting a new series today, Jess, and I thank you so much for coming up with this idea. And we couldn't have picked a better person to kick it off for us. That is Chris Malin. He is an over 20 years plus marketer who built the employment marketing program at a company you may have heard of, Google. Um, Big, big deal over there. And recently has focused his work at Rivian and most recently BenchSci, an expert when it comes to employment marketing or employer marketing. And Chris, you know, I am really, really interested to not only kick off this series with you, but, you know, talk through this because this is a subject that we discuss quite often on a lot of our consulting efforts we do at LinkedIn, but I don't know if a lot of us have a, a book on it. We're all kind of in a learning process right now, and I'm really curious to hear your philosophy and you know, kick off a great discussion today. Yeah, I got to say, I'm really excited to be here. I think it's, um, it's an interesting and dynamic field. It continues to evolve. I think... Um, I don't think anybody's really got the book yet. I think that's one of the things that makes this so fascinating is that we're writing it as we as we all go. There's so much to be learned um, and the market is changing and evolving so rapidly that there's constantly opportunities for us to try new things. And try new things. That's what, you know, Jess and I, we, we hear that a lot. You know, it, it's, 
something what I think we could look for today is to figure out where the parallels are of marketing technique that we do day to day, you know, branding, demand, whatever channels you're trying to use. How is it paralleled with employer branding? How is it different? Um, but there's one thing that's consistent across the board, and that's creativity. So, Chris, a question that we ask all of our guests just to kick off our discussion is either our times where we feel really creative or times where I don't feel creative at all and I need a lot more, you know, I need a gallon of this iced coffee. Um, but is there a method that you have to your madness to get unstuck creatively, whether that be actually in the office or outside the office? Yeah, it's a really powerful question um, that you ask because it is so essential to what we do. You know, as I think about it, really, when I think about getting stuck creatively, either myself or what I've observed, usually there is there are kind of two things that are are causing that. One is there's too much clutter, and the other is there's not enough courage. So I have to think about, okay, how do we reduce clutter? How do we increase courage, right? So in, in that short term, in that moment where we've got to decide something, we've got to come up with an answer now, right? The way I think about reducing clutter is finding ways to clear our mind and, and um, actually reduce the distractions that the team is focused on um, or that has the, the distractions a team has in their mind. So for instance, um, things like narrowing the scope deciding that we're going to answer a very small part of the problem first, um, rather than trying to tackle everything at once, being very specific about what the outcome is that we're chasing, right? That kind of clarity and definition removes a lot of clutter. Now, separately, there's the long-term ways to reduce clutter, right? It's mindfulness. It's, it's trying to be more present in the moment in a lot of things and practicing that in life. But that's number one the clutter piece. And then the building courage piece um, is related in critical ways. I think what, what happens is people get caught up in the risk of what is, you know, and what's at stake in what it is they're working on, whether that is business risk, they've got to solve a really meaningful problem, or it's personal risk. Um, you know, they don't know how they'll be perceived in this process. So I find that there are ways to help increase courage and by reducing that risk. And there are things like, how do you, um, again, as in reducing clutter, how do we solve just a very small part of the problem first? How do we address the smallest piece we can? And importantly, can we impose some constraints on ourselves that may seem silly at first, but take us out of our, our own personal risk um, situations, such as let's intentionally try to solve this problem in the worst way possible first. And I found that that exercise of going for the worst idea we can possibly brainstorm up front actually has some surprising benefits. Number one, it takes off a lot of, you know, it moves people away from worrying about what they're gonna suggest. It takes away a lot of judgment. But number two, what I find it often does is it surfaces truths about the project, about the brand, about the company, truths that we're afraid to address, things that we might see as weaknesses, things that are unstated, that really, if we address them well, are going to become core parts of what make us strong later. So I find that that ends up having sort of a dual, a dual benefit. I already have a great takeaway just from our first question, Jess. So I'm going to, let's bring you in here. We talk about 
doing these workshops a lot with our clients. And a lot of times, you know, we have an hour, hour and a half to go through this. There's a multitude of things we're trying to hit on. It could be copy, creative, ABM. It could be full funnel. It could be resurfacing parts of your brand. Lots of clutter. Great word you say there, Chris. There's like so much clutter there. But a lot of times as marketers, we find ourselves trying to make a big play, hit a home run in my baseball references I like to make. And sometimes it's just seeing a pitch and getting on base. So, you know, I, I like this reference here of trying to really to monofocus. And I've found that recently in recent years, that's something that I've tried to practice more and more, Chris, to try to stay more focused on one task and identify where to start and, and just maybe that's something we should be bringing up more when we do consult. Yes. So well said, Chris, you're speaking my language. I love clutter and courage and how the two tie together. And what I really want to hit on with what you said is this idea that we have to make a decision now. And that is where we've seen in the past with with marketing teams, brands, executives, et cetera, it's, it's so hard to remove that analysis paralysis and just move forward with a decision and test and, and have the courage to make a mistake. So yes, making a decision now, I love it. Most definitely. So it, it's just something that we keep taking away is trying to Figure out what decision we're trying to make now, not make too many decisions at once, kind of like that step ladder. And I think that's like just a great segue to talk about, you know, employer branding as a whole. So um, big question here, Chris, we're going to we're going to lead off with a hot one um, is let's set the record straight once and for all. So please tell us what employer marketing and branding is. Is it the same? What does it mean and what does it entail? Employer marketing or branding? Are they the same thing? Yeah, it's um, it's a big question. Um, and I really have come to think of it as actually employment marketing, right? What I've come to think of is when I say employer, it feels like what I'm doing is I'm being very promotional. And what I've recognized or what I've come to believe is when I think of it as employment marketing, that's really talking about what the audience wants to buy as opposed to what I'm trying to sell. And at its core, I think marketing is really about understanding the audience and the people we're seeking to serve and connect with more than anything else. So when I think about it, I think about employment marketing as sort of this broad field. And within there, we really need to think very holistically, right? This has elements of product marketing, like what is the employment experience? How is that being defined? And how does that come to life? Brand marketing and really brand management, um, what do we intend to stand for? And how well understood is that? How, how is it believed? How is it internalized by our audience? Um, there's growth marketing and user acquisition. Are we getting the right mix of direct applications uh, for the roles that we need to fill? And are they relevant? Are they the most relevant applications we can get, which is really critical. Um, there's B2B marketing elements like lead gen and sales enablement and our partnership with talent acquisition teams. And then there's our connection with PR and communications. So really when I think of um, employment marketing, what this really means is that people in this space have to think and act more like a VP of marketing or a CMO than in almost any other marketing discipline. 
So I would like to tell a story just how I've seen employer marketing is I'm trying to learn it um, here myself is I tell the story a lot on this podcast is I was formerly in broadcast radio host that transitioned to marketing, did the whole let's switch the whole career up midway through, found a lot of success now, you know, here with LinkedIn, of course, but one of the big reasons that I started to look into making that transition was in that 2014, 15, 16 range when you were doing some great work at Google, Chris, is I started to see these companies, whether it be Google, LinkedIn, Facebook, you know, on the cover of a lot of innovative technology, but also looked at as very good places to work. And when I made the transition, it wasn't going to be something where, hey, you know, I'm a radio show host, they're going to go hire me at Meta, I'm going to go be Zuckerberg's VP. I knew this was a long game to try to get into this world and try to learn it, but it was something that was very inspiring to me to see it from a Google lens. You know, there, there was the movie about Google, the name's escaping me, the comedy movie. Um, it was uh, Owen Wilson. Um, there was a social network, of course, was a whole different thing that was loosely kind of about Facebook's beginning. But you start to see these movies pop up about the culture. You started to see the news stories. You started to see the branding on social media. And it had a very powerful impact on me um, to look at this type of field as a place that maybe I could be successful in one day. So just a personal story um, for myself as to how I saw it, you know, and kind of looking at it now and I saw what it did for me. So it definitely makes me a believer. But we have to try to make an organization a believer, which is much more than one person. So when we look at an organization, how is it important? How important is it for them to have an employer marketing or brand team? And how do they prioritize getting really the ball started and building that? Yeah, it's it really comes down in a lot of ways to where a company is on its growth journey right? And what's critical, right? Any company, when you think from a business leadership perspective, is you have to have a clear understanding of what it is you're trying to solve and how you're going to create value for your organization, for all your stakeholders. Um, from a brand perspective, it's also critical to recognize that you're going to have a brand, whether you cultivate it or not. There's going to be a perception of you in the world. And the question comes, um, how important is it for you to build an audience over time that believes in your mission, that believes in your values, and is willing to dedicate two things that they can never get more of to that mission and those values? And those things are their own time and their own reputation, because that's what it means to ask somebody to come work for you. Right, you're asking for them for something that is much more difficult and much more precious than just a single transaction. So, in a lot of ways, I think when we think about building an employer brand, for instance, I think about the importance of steady investment over time. Right, this is kind of like the question of how important is it to start saving for retirement? Well, the answer is it's important. Well, when is it important? Long before you're going to need it. And the reason is the steady investment over time is what builds you up a curve that gets you um, exponential yields, right? There's incremental investment over time that yields to yields exponentially. 
that makes all the difference in the world. Now, when you ask about prioritizing, I think there's really two big areas, right? When you're trying to build out this function, one is you wanna build channels, you wanna build the ability to operate marketing channels well, right? So that means um, something like, that, that is really where your steady investment comes from. Think about investing in how your company shows up on LinkedIn and learning how to engage with an audience, learning how to build a community, and critically, learning how to understand what it means to have a follower base of different profiles, right? Not just how many followers you have, but what functions are they from? What geographic regions are they in? What industries are they in today? And is that mix appropriate for where your business is trying to grow. Uh, so there's this nuanced understanding of how to build and, oper and operate your marketing channels. And then second is learning how to build campaigns that will help you shift the curve, right? So the operating channel, operating those channels runs every day and you build that steady curve over time. The, uh, the separate campaign work then is what shifts the curve up from time to time. And where companies make mistakes a lot is they focus so heavily on the campaigns and away from channel excellence, that what happens is rather than a curve that increases and then shifts up, they get spikes. It's like a blood sugar spike or your caffeine spike that you're gonna have this afternoon, right? It's gonna go up, but then it's gonna come down. And sometimes that energy level is actually gonna go below zero, right? So campaigns done really well without channel excellence are really gonna leave you at greater risk than if you hadn't done the campaigns at all in some cases. And I'm happy to talk through metrics or anything else that might be of interest. Well, I'm I'm definitely using all of these analogies moving forward. That just that that was so clear. It made so much sense to me thinking about it from like a fi financial perspective and investing over time. And I, I definitely can relate to like the the blood sugar spike. And you know, you want to keep a steady steady growth trajectory. So I, I love it. Let's take it down to a question. We had a little bit, we had a little bit further down the list, but I think it, this parlays really well. Um, let's talk about, we do these moments as an always on versus a campaign spike. Um, but that also plays into when we look at our employees today that we have on our staff, how do you create these moments that matter for the potential employees of today? So they could be on your staff now, they could be on your staff later, you're trying to create moments. And I think so many times we talk about moments, we think campaign, how does this work in more of an always on function? Yeah, it's, it's really a great, great question. It's, I think one of the challenges is in the term itself, moment. Right, So people think of moments as something that only happens once, but really in so much of life, like what the experience somebody has, how you become relevant to them, how you become connected is really, it's, it's, it's not the sum, it's greater than that, but it's a collection of numerous moments. It's not just individual ones. And the way to build those, that right collection is really having an understanding and insight about where someone is when they're coming to you. So speaking of potential employees, let me give you one quick example, right? So imagine how, um, let's talk about hiring high-end software engineers, right? I'm in Silicon Valley. That's a really important thing that's on the minds of a lot of the companies I've talked to. Um, 
how do companies show up when they're trying to hire a high-end software engineer? Well, they have a short list of companies they're going to go, they want to go poach from, they get on the phone, metaphorically, right? They get on the phone, they call somebody up and they say, hey, we're a hot new startup. We're going to change the world. Come work for us. And what does the engineer hear? The in or what does the engineer think on the other side of that phone? They think, so is everyone else who calls me. Thanks. Goodbye. Right? There's nothing differentiated. There's nothing relevant to them. And the perception they have is that all of these companies reaching out to them are extractive. They're trying to pull them, extract them from a comfortable position. They're trying to pull value out of the community that they're a part of. And it becomes a place where everyone's going to be defensive when they even hear about you. So the investment really, if that's the insight, then what do you do about that? I think that's when you start thinking of moments in terms of how do we use a strategy of many small moments and maybe some big ones to begin to help people see and feel, not that we're an outsider who's pulling from the community, but we're an essential part of the community. So rather than, you know, trying to, rather than people feeling like, you know, candidates feeling like they're fish who are getting pulled out of the water onto the land, they feel like they're just being invited to swim to a nicer reef. You know, it's funny what you mentioned there, Chris, from a, a social media manager's lens, um, someone that's come up through the agency ranks, I've had the exact phrase used that we're trying to change the world or we're trying to impact the industry, we're changing the game. My first thought as a social media professional when I heard that from a recruiter is, oh crap, am I going to be working 12 hour days Monday through Friday? <laughs> like that's the impression it always gave me. It's like, I don't know if I want to change the world. I want to do really good work that I'm proud of. And I want to, of course, you know, work for a company that has good values and, you know, also have time to build my personal life, get married, have a house, like things like that. Because like when they, when they leave with changing the world, it's like, I don't know if, I don't know if all of us are trying to do that. So it's interesting you use that phrase because that's one that we do hear a lot, or at least some sort of version of it coming from recruiters. But next question here. So when we're talking marketing, branding, employment, you know, it crosses over some different areas of the business. So oftentimes I consult in EDU. So my version of that is combining marketing with admissions and making sure they're using the same language and knowing where the baton's handed off. And just your world, that's going to be more of marketing and sales. In this world, it could be marketing and HR. So the, the big question here, Chris, and I think I know we're going to take this, is, is this a marketing function? Is it an HR function? Is there a baton handoff? Should they be working together from the start? What's your perfect world of how employment branding would be built between these two different departments? Yeah, it's a, I started... When I started in this space, I thought of it as I, I thought of it as vitally important for the function to live as close to the outcomes as possible, right? So if the outcomes are a great hiring funnel, right, from top to bottom and a strong pipeline over time, I thought, you know, the place to sit is close to talent acquisition inside human resources, inside the HR org. What I've come to realize, though, is the criticality of, of um, a combination of great marketing talent 
in the field and uh, access to great marketing resources, as well as an integration with the broader storytelling of an organization. So I've come to believe that a better place for this to sit is actually inside the marketing organization with one key caveat. The way this works really well is when the person who's leading it, the person who's tasked with not only the strategic perspective on it, but actually driving the outcomes, actually sits in a dotted line relationship on the staff of the chief human resources officer. So it's possible for organizational reasons, you might do it the other way, have them sit with the CHRO and then dotted line over to marketing. But that connection is really critical because it allows not only the right discussions to happen, but also the right resources to, to constantly be sort of available. And also it allows, it, it makes it a lot easier to move great marketing resources in and out of the field. And I think that's a critical piece because developing great marketing talent, especially in an area like this, as we talked about, which is so, has such a broad remit, is something that's really unique in most larger marketing organizations. Most large marketing organizations become so channel focused or so functionally focused that it makes it hard for a great marketer to actually broaden their horizon until they get promoted up and up and up through the organization. This is an area where by placing it on the uh, career journey of people in the marketing team, you actually create, um, you know, you build a stronger bench for your leadership over time. Do you actually find this easier to implement maybe in a startup scenario? So you have a, a new company, obviously there's a lot of things they're trying to hit, they're trying to get their investors, they're trying to showcase that they can be profitable. We talk about the growth stage a lot, just as a common thing we talk about when we have some of our guests, but if you're trying to implement employment branding, do you find that it could be easy right then? And maybe there isn't a CMO or CHRO in place yet, but if the founders of the company get that going, get that, you know, just the idea that this is going to be important to us, that it makes the dominoes a lot easier. Yeah, I think you're right. The earlier you can focus on what it is you intend to accomplish right? The, the better. It's sort of like we, I mentioned before, right? If you start investing for retirement earlier, you don't have to invest as much to make up for it over time. Um, I think there's always going to be a challenge because every company always is good. Companies are always going to have pressure to deliver for today, right? There's always going to be a need to understand um, where we are, what the most, what gets us, what hits our, our, um, what hits our revenue targets right now? That's, there's always going to be pressure on that because there will always be an investor group. There will always be a need to deliver and that will unlock the ability for the company to do everything else. I think the biggest trick for people to, to wrap their heads around and for executives to really understand is how vitally important it is to have the right people in role to actually build things forward, right? I've been in conversations in companies where, um, where the question, where the problem is, well, we're not, we've got this problem with product and we're not shipping product fast enough. We've, we're having to do some rework on it. And I have to sit down and explain to like the core marketing org and a bunch of executives, well, look, if you root cause that all the way back, the core is you don't have the right people. You don't have enough people to actually run the production line. 
so let's solve that problem rather than trying to make up for it with new comms about how, hey, maybe you'll have to wait a little longer to get your product delivered. Well, marketers don't want to write that. Why don't you help me solve the thing where we hire people? And then you don't have to solve the, how are we letting people down gently problem. So it's a really interesting dynamic. Um, and it's really, um, it's, I think at its core, the essential thing to do is keep in mind what we're solving for and keep it as part of the conversation. Because I think a lot of companies, especially once they get past the startup phase, it's very easy for them to lose sight of the fact that that's a lever they can pull. So let's take a visit back on this throwback Thursday, of course, to your, your 2019 Talent Connect talk. Um, 2019, that feels like, you know, in, in terms of digital years, that's four or that's four years ago in human years and digital years, that might be like 30 years ago now, um, with all the changes that we've seen in place. But hey, there's always some things that we could take away, you know, we can change, we can, you know, elevate. But in this talk, it's a, an excellent high level overview you give of a marketing map approach. Can you tell us what that is and how you've evolved that, you know, as we've had these last few years, whether, you know, it be the rise of AI, the pandemic, there's been so many changes, but I still think there's a lot of principles from that talk that stay true today. Yeah, absolutely. So in that talk, gosh, I mean, anything pre-COVID seems prehistoric, right? Um, but in that talk at that time, um, <clears throat> what I talked about there was a way to understand the market so that any marketer could really plan more effectively how to reach them. Um, and the insight behind that presentation was recognizing that at its core, um, we needed to understand kind of two things. And these come from consumer marketing in a lot of ways. It's understanding where audiences are in terms of their category intent. You know, are they shopping for toothpaste right now or not? In our case, are they in the job market or not? Are they actively hunting? And where are they in terms of brand intent, right? Do they like Colgate or Crest? Or for us, you know, at the time I was at Google, like what is their intent to be connected to the Google brand, whether as a consumer, a user, somebody who just likes to have swag or somebody who might actually want to work there someday, but maybe they don't feel ready yet. And so understanding that, right, the, the low to high, category intent, low to high um, brand intent, allowed us then to look at what questions we really needed to help answer for people, right? And I think this will apply in so many fields of marketing, but was really, was really a novel way to think about things in the employment space. So if somebody has high category and high brand intent, the question we're answering for them or helping them answer is why not? Well, why not go work there? Why not apply? Why not make that part of my journey? For the folks with um, with high brand intent, but who aren't in the job market, we needed to get them to think, well, why now? That's the question we're answering for them. Right? Why should I think about it now? I'm, I'm good in this job. I like you guys, but I'm good where I am. For people who are high category intent, they're job hunters, but are low brand intent, we had to address the question of why me? Why should I be connected to your company? Right. And that question and that there's some real nuance there, because that question started off as why us? 
why our company, right? It started as a storytelling question and we quickly realized that it wasn't about the story we told, it was about the story that they hear, right? That they internalize. And then finally, the final group, you know, low, low on any, on any two by two matrix is always the, the difficult spot. And there it was, why bother, right? What do we need to do to approach um, that group? And by understanding where people were in different states, it allowed us to really look at what messages we needed to share, what channels we needed to reach them, and what um, obstacles were in their way that we had to try to remove. Now, I've evolved my understanding of that framework a little of in the in the subsequent years, really in two, I think in two critical ways. One has been when I first put it together, I looked at it as a static exercise, right? It's like understand where we are. Let's use this as a tool to build out our programs, our capabilities right now, and make sure we're addressing the issues that exist in each quadrant. What I've come to see, and, and the reason for that really was because I see a lot of companies that are trying to do things that they don't need to do, right? Imagine going fishing, you have to feed your family, like catch the fish that are close to shore first. Why take your boat all the way out into the deep blue ocean if all the fish you need are right there? So that was the initial, the initial thinking. What I've realized is that it's really important for us to think about more and more how we help the fish swim to different places, right? Or in classic, um, you know, two by two matrix usage, how we move people from one box to another, right? So I've started doing a lot more work um, with uh, business leaders to help them understand the upper funnel work that we need to invest to move people from one place to another and how exactly that comes to life. Um, the second thing I've thought about a lot more is how critical that importance is between the core marketing and brand team and what we're doing in employment marketing, which relates to the question I, I, I or the answer I gave you a, a little before. Um, you know, this work um, and the stories that we tell about who we are in the world overlap so much with work done like by groups who are not only in our consumer marketing team as, as consumers increasingly buy based on mission and values, um, but also with teams like our um, investor relations or analyst relations teams who are telling the stories of the companies and how they come to life. And even for an enterprise or a B2B firm, um, as you know, this comes to life there's an overlap between the stories we tell to, um, to potential partners because the way we show up for potential employees is, very, is gonna be very similar to the way we're gonna show up to partners when we're on the ground working with them day to day. Does that help? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I just want to keep hearing more. That's why I'm like waiting for Andy to ask the next question. But I think what you're doing here too is really unlocking those synergies and, and showing how this marketing function, uh, it, it's, it's all connected. They're all tied together and really building that case for having the, the dotted line under the CMO versus the the CHRO. You know, and I think of this through a, an interesting perspective from what you're saying, Chris, is me before joining LinkedIn, I was a, a LinkedIn customer for several years. So 
I worked with members of the, the LinkedIn sales team. I saw the marketing. I followed the pages. I did different things like that. Again, there was always a back thought, you know, it's like, hey, if I could work my career up and, and work in a larger tech company, that'd be pretty cool. Didn't really know. I didn't have a true North Star of where it was going. But the more and more as a customer that I worked with LinkedIn and I saw that their employment branding kind of spread through both B2C, B2B, the way that they market themselves on their actual page. Like I felt like the language was fairly consistent across the board. So it's kind of interesting as you talk about these different segments that we market to and combining language and showing that consistency that I was able to see that as a customer and I wasn't somebody that was saying, hey, I want to work here yet, but it kind of got me in that mindset. So again, I think it really shows power and something just you and I talk about a lot is utilizing the messaging that you have and making sure it covers all parts of marketing. I do it so often where I go to a client's website and they have very good copywriting. They don't need chat GPT to go write their website. There's great content here already, but it's not being shown in other places. So I think it's that leadership and an alignment, making sure that messaging is really shown throughout. And Chris, what you've taught me today is making sure that that's shown through the employment marketing process as well. So I feel like I've been Jedi mind tricked by it in the past, which is good. But the more I think about it now, as you talk about it, I see the way they combine, you know, efforts to make sure it's shown throughout. Before our next question here, moving down the list. So we talk a lot today about leadership and trying to get them involved in employment branding. And we talk about these last few years, and there has been so many changes, as we just mentioned, with you know going from 2019 to 2023. So more than ever, we see brands right now trying to operate for in the now or for what's changing in the now. Chris, how do you convince leadership right now that employment, marketing, and branding should still be a top priority, even if we're in times of uncertainty? Does it does it make it even more important, actually? I think you, you might argue the case that we should go a little bit more into it, but I'm curious your thought. Yeah, it's look, when times get uncertain, the corporate instinct is to shrink everything that isn't delivering for the short term, right? And that's, it makes sense, but it has limits. Right, our job when we think of uh, when we think of employment marketing and really building out really any sort of long term marketing vision is we've got to deliver strategy and deliver and and the deliverables right that bring that strategy to life. So the question is the question we need to focus on is what deliverables are going to make the biggest difference for us during uncertainty, and that gets you to a well, what does the business actually need? Where are they right now? So for instance, um, you know, do the goals suddenly during a time of retrenchment, do the goals become low turnover, high retention, um, and super high productivity of the team, right? You want to eliminate distractions. The outside world has gotten very scary in some cases when retrenchment happens, when companies start facing uncertainty. So do you double down and take some of those, some of the brand work that you've done externally and make sure this is the perfect time to really make sure that's coming to life through your internal moments, your internal experience and your internal 
um, your, the internal understanding that your employees have of who you are. It's a time when you have to spend extra time with the where we talked about outbound brand work. This is a time when it's critical to spend extra time on the basics of product marketing. What is the product we're actually providing for our employees? How do we bring that to life for them? What do they need and how do we show up later? As I said before, you're going to have a brand, whether you cultivate it or not. And what people, what the external world is going to judge you on, and in fact, your employees are going to judge you on, and your partners are going to judge you on, is not how do you behave when times are good and cash is flush. They're going to judge you on how do you behave on, in times of stress, because that's going to tell the truth of who you are as an organization. So using the discipline of marketing to really focus in on what it is that we intend to make true, what it is that's the most essential about who we are, and then continue to execute on that is really critical during this time. And if you have growth aspirations as a firm, as an executive, it's more important than ever that you find exactly the right people for those right roles during these moments of uncertainty. And so investing again in that partnership between um, your marketing and, you know, in this case, talent acquisition, but it's basically your marketing and sales partnership is going to matter. So, you know, companies are going to expand and contract over time, right? And different teams are going to seem more important over time, but that consistent investment um, is critical. And if you cut the brand work, the investment that you're going to require to fix that problem later is going to show up just at the time when you really need it. And it's going to be too late. I love it. I, I just love the comparisons, Chris. It's like, it, it's got me thinking so much that this has been one of those interviews where it's, you give such great answers about what we can do now but also what is the macro play to make this work and, and where we should be keeping our heads. And I want to close with this because there are so many marketers out there right now doing so many functions. And I love that it's become, I, I, I like that marketing now has an element of specialty. You know, there used to be a day where it's like you're a marketer and you do 17 things. And I know that still exists in some regards, but when you get higher up in the tech, um, bigger companies, it's usually a little bit more specialized. And sometimes what it does is it can kind of, it, it's good and bad. It can kind of pigeonhole you in a certain way. It's like, you're this type of marketer. So let's talk about employment marketers. So somebody that's mastered this, you know, sub-vertical of marketing, what makes them good for other marketing roles or other marketing lenses? If they're brought into the room for these bigger discussions, what do they bring to the table once you have this type of experience under your belt? Yeah, it's, um, it's something that I alluded to a little bit earlier in, in our conversation. It's, there's really a combination of things, right? There is a broad skill set that has um, usually had to focus on, an, on building expertise across a number of different marketing channels, right? So it's not just that there's rarely the opportunity to focus too narrowly on the marketing channels you operate in, in employment marketing. So what that means is people who come up through the space have played with social media, they've played with direct, they've played with 
you know, email campaigns. They've played with sales enablement campaigns. They've worked across that. Connected to that, there's this, this breadth across um, both B2C and B2B perspectives, right? How do you think about attracting people directly and driving application volume, right? And how do you also think about sales enablement and building a brand through a complex or a multi-step uh, channel where you've got a talent acquisition team or a, a university relations team bringing people in? Third, there's time horizon, as I think you mentioned, right? There's a need to think about short-term investment and long-term. In some ways, you know, I, I'm not really a great sports metaphor guy, but if you think about um, like college sports versus professional sports, right? This work is much more like college where you've got to replace your entire team every four years, because really, if you look at the turnover rates at most companies, you're replacing a huge amount of your staff on a pretty regular basis. So the ability to invest both in long-term and short-term is something that is constantly on the mind of people who are working in this space as marketers. And finally, I'd say the last thing is really the ability to pivot is unlike you, you will practice the ability to pivot in employment marketing, unlike uh, the way you'd practice it in any other field of marketing. So think about how the demand for different um, or the need to hire for different teams or different priorities can shift really dramatically over time. And then think about what's been one of the biggest constraints or one of the biggest challenges that companies have struggled with over the last maybe two years. How do they continue to market when they maybe don't have supply to sell, when there's a global supply constraint, when they have all of these problems? What stories do they still tell? Employment marketers are used to that all the time because this one group finished all their hiring. The engineering team doesn't need to hire that skill set anymore. Now they're onto something else. So you can tap the ability of people to understand how you shift under dramatic marketing and even internal constraints. And I think um, you know marketing orgs that learn how to use that unique breadth of skills and perspective are really going to find ways to, um, like I said, develop their next generation of marketing leaders much more effectively. I love it. You know, big takeaway right there uh, for, for me, Jess, is always having a plan because the college sports reference turnover is high. I have been instructing this a lot with clients I work with is building a plan that can be sustained through any type of turnover, a North Star, something you're working on, because there's just even internal changes. We see it so much in the social media world. And, you know, we get social media folks, we come in with our different philosophies, we all have different backgrounds, we all have different ideas, but there's no North Star. We all kind of take it our own direction. So I think having that in place, that's a really good takeaway. Um, on the employment branding side. And I love the crossovers there of being able to adjust. But we could go on for hours and hours on this. That We are at time, Chris. So Chris Malin, once again, be sure to give him a follow on LinkedIn um, if you like this conversation to enjoy some more tricks and tips when it comes to employment branding. But thank you. Thank you so much once again, Chris. We've learned a lot today. And um, I definitely know Justin and I will be going over some key takeaways right after this. Well, thank you so much. It's really been a, a, a true joy to be here and have this chat with you this morning. Most definitely. Yes. Thank you, Chris. You know, I don't know if you are aware, but today is May the 4th. Yes, May the 4th. Be with you. And 
Andy mentioned Jedi mind tricks. And just after hearing this conversation and the way that you are framing things in the employment marketing space, which I'm going to be using moving forward as well, I consider you the the Jedi master for this industry. Well, you're too kind, and I certainly appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. The Yoda of employment marketing. We'll see you around soon. And thank you again for being on the show. So, Jess, you hit on that. I was going to bring that up, you know, it, in the beginning. I didn't touch on it. It's like we're not doing a May the 4th be with you. Marketing <laughs> show. Um, I know there's a lot of content around that right now and a lot of people piggybacking on it. But, you know, th this was a really solid conversation today from Chris. You know, I told you before we went into this series that we're going to do that this one will be interesting for me because it's not a subject I have a really good grip on. I kind of have my own guesses and own experiences, but I have no formal training on employment marketing. <laughs> Did, have you ever, you know, gone through anything that was substantial on it? It For me, I've, I've, I've consulted on the, the space before, but it was a, you know, learn, learn as, as you go, go. Yeah. test, iterate, Again, yeah. Chris could be uh, teaching as well, teaching all of I us. I love it. Yeah, I would love to be in class and, and learn about this. Because, I mean, the, there's marketing has certain principles that we carry over. We restructure. You kind of, it, it's find your persona, be consistent, brand, always on, you know, think about who you are as a company and your, your brand statements. Like there's consistencies that cross over, but there's also other macros he talked about that were really fascinating to me. And, you know, especially when we talked about his 2019 talk and how he explained using this channel to find users who might be on the market for a job, maybe not in the market for a job, but also talking about people that already are at the company which there's probably a really good direct correlation there in which when you retain a certain amount of people, you also make a certain amount of money from not having to keep replacing uh, different individuals over and over again. Yes. What he really unlocked for me is when, when talking about like this idea of consumer B2B em employment, marketing it, it all really is connected and tied together and now i'm starting to think about employment marketers should be meeting and aligning with the b2b marketers and the consumer marketers and making sure the brand holistically is aligned because he he talked about like in in this space right now from a b2b lens businesses want to build resilience, especially during uh, th these times of uncertainty. They need to embrace ongoing disruption. And the way that Chris was talking about how an employment marketing is, is tied to like this piece of building resilience, it's it, it's really fantastic. And now I'm, I'm just seeing like the, the power of it all sitting under one marketing organization and all of these teams working together to align on, you know, how the brand is going to show up. 
And think about this, like working it into a little bit of a multiverse of marketing here. So let's talk big B2B. Let's let's not talk, you know, small couple thousand dollar deals. Let's talk large partnerships that take place, the ones that make or break you as a marketer. Can you get those done? These types of partnerships when companies align, they want a trustworthy partner that they believe in their mission. And there isn't going to be some sort of article that comes out in a year about such and such company did such and such, and you were aligned to them. So let's think about values that they appreciate. And a lot of that goes into employment marketing. What are employees doing? What are our big brand statements? You know, what do we do for the community? Why do people enjoy working here? All this positive type of marketing that happens. And for large companies, they do have a lot of that. It's how do you distill it? How do you show it? And I think for B2B, you know, showcasing some of that type of culture in what we do in our marketing efforts can go a lot further than, you know, start your demo, which I think there's importance for both of them. But I think it he shows the importance again that these types of messages that we put out there can be really important in multiple lenses. Yes. How, how the people are really behind the, the brand of resilience, the brand of stability. Like you said, yeah, people want to know that the brand is stable but also innovative too, but stable and and can weather these uh, ongoing changes. And I, I, I'm, I'm still just thinking about it, but really, really, I, I'm now seeing how employees can be behind reinforcing that message and almost behind the idea that like the, the employees can help future-proof your business as well and establish that trust and something that we could even take a step further this is just like perfect world here there's not a lot of companies doing this but i saw a post from our old friend courtney johnson that we had during our influencer series she brings us together i love that she is a influencer that understands so many genres of marketing but she posted today about how people trust people on social media more than they trust companies in the companies that can get people to advocate for them and really have some sort of process in which you have your users posting on LinkedIn. They're not, they know what the brand is. They have messaging supplied to them. There's some sort of incentive for them to get their story out there. It's really, really powerful. And she brings up a, a good point that companies that do that win today, but that's just another level of employer branding that goes beyond the paid ads, the campaigns. It's more of the always on we talked about today. Another example is LinkedIn turned 20 years old yesterday. Incredible to believe. Um, I I can tell everybody what grade I was in when that happened, but I, I don't want to upset um, some of our listeners. But uh, incredible marketing there as they gave us, you know, creative to work with, messaging to work with. There's lots of photos out there. There's hashtags. I knew what the post because I saw it floating around. And I think that's just another, um, you know, another example of being able to put out that type of employer marketing. Yes. Like from a B2B lens to a consumer lens, we, we talk about establishing this social proof. Your employees can absolutely 
play in that strategy. It's almost like your employees are the ones that are creating that social proof for your brand. So another connection there. So many connections, so many metaverses, so much to talk about, but we have a limit on our time. So towards the end here, but we do have a very important topic to discuss, Jess. And I have sent my message to Tom Anderson, our dream guest. He should know a thing or two about employment branding. If he if he escapes from his photo, photography journey, he's in Hawaii right now. He posted some Instagram stories, but I have the message for you. You ready to hear it? Yes, I cannot wait to hear what you sent. So on the live version, probably not as many bells and whistles. I think on the short recordings we do on this, I think I need to get some music behind when I read this to, to empower it a little bit more. So this is the less produced version live. So here it is. So dear Tom, my name is Andy Pondello. I'm a senior content solutions consultant at LinkedIn. My role consists of consulting clients on their organic to paid social media strategy and content creative brand demand and everything that revolves around this. As a follower of your career, it has been an inspiration for me working my way up in the social media industry. MySpace laid the groundwork for pages, comments, profiles, and the interactions we see today across Facebook to LinkedIn. In addition to my consulting work at LinkedIn, I am a guest lecturer at Rice University, Within our social media course, I discussed the history of social media in which we take a deep dive into your ideas for social media and MySpace's contributions. It's a topic I love to discuss being a little bit of a history nerd. Okay, now why am I messaging you randomly? Question mark. My LinkedIn colleague, Jess Nickerson, and I host a podcast called The Making of a Marketer. In each episode of the podcast, we highlight a different guest slash avenue of the digital marketing world. It's a late night talk show style marketing podcast where we keep it loose, fun, energetic, and aim to learn something new from a unique marketing perspective. When we started putting this podcast together, we created a dream guest list, if you will. Tom from MySpace or Tom Anderson was who we kept coming back to. We'd love to hear your thoughts about what you're doing now, thoughts on the current social media landscape, how MySpace still impacts social today. And of course, if you're willing, the classic, would you ever come back to the social media field question? We'd love to just gauge some interest and see, gauge some general interest and in seeing if you'd be interested in joining this interview down the line. Please let me know how we could provide further information or do a discovery chat. Thank you for your time, Andy and Jess. What do you think? I love it. You just got me thinking about MySpace as well and the idea where we could really show our personalities, have music on the page, et cetera, you know, going back to the OG. How nice would it have been if you maybe had some Hawaiian music to accompany this oh, we will. message? When you... We will. I'll be adding okay. that in. Because, I mean, that, that, will, that could be a, a way to maybe entice a little since he is in Hawaii right now and it's it's hard to compete with Hawaii and just, you know, taking these beautiful photos in a beautiful place. And it might be another way we can, you know, test out somebody's AI services. I'm going to go find one of those music makers and I'm going to mm -hmm. type in create Hawaiian music. And I'm yeah. going to see what it comes up with and we're just going to run it over that and, and play it. But, uh, 
No, if you're new to the podcast, uh, catching you up, our dream guest is Tom from My, MySpace, Tom Anderson. We kind of discussed when we started this, who would be the ideal guest? You know, there's a lot of places you can go with this in the marketing world. But I think the one that we've been most curious about is what happened to Tom? You know, Tom, he, he started MySpace. He, you know, changed the world of social media, laid the groundwork for all the sites and, you know, comments and profiles. And he, they had bulletins back on MySpace, the friends list. Like there's so much that was from that early construction that carried over. So we're just so curious to hear about that lens, but also kind of like he's this mystery man. You know, we talk about these CEOs and big figures in the social media space. Their faces are all over the place. They're in interviews. Tom seems like he's the hardest one to get because he's out doing photography, living the life, and I can't blame him. But we just have a lot of questions, and, and I'm just super curious. You know, without Tom, there's a lot of things maybe we don't have today. So uh, we think it would be the perfect interview. This was our outreach on an Instagram message because we aren't quite sure how to find him, but it's a start, and we're just going to work our way from there as kind of a goal of the making of a marketer is to, to get Tom to come on here at some point. Yes, and we, we also have a newsletter as well. The Tom from on MySpace LinkedIn. effect. Subscribe yes. if you haven't yet. <laughs> but with that, just that's another end of another fantastic episode. We will continue our our employment brand series. So um, I'm excited to learn more and you know, excited to keep this thing rolling. Absolutely. I, I'm so excited to talk to our guest next week. And learn more about the space and get their perspective because Chris really blew me away. Yes, Chris blew me away. And it's almost like I was in an awe if I didn't know what to say after certain questions. <laughs> yes. I was just like, yeah, that's right. That's interesting. You know, <laughs> so it's like one of those is like jaw dropping, but very great. Good conversation. Thank you, Jess. And thank you to our listeners. As always, we'll be back again next week. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.